Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff. I'm your host. I'm joined as always by Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael, they like to debate, they like to discuss, they like to talk about things and rate the top four of those things. And this week is no different as we discuss the Mount Rushmore of ensemble comedies. This was my choice. Jeff, why did you choose this? Thank you for asking, Richard. Why? Nobody ever asked me any questions. <laughs> I have, as a kid, I remember seeing the movie, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Oh, that was almost one of my picks, by the way. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. Damn and, it. Damn it, that would have been a point. It, it, <laughs> it stuck out so drastically from a lot of the other entertainment I'd seen because I remember it having everybody who was in comedy at that time. And I just, at first, I loved it because of the entertainment value of all these wonderful character comedians and, and even Spencer Tracy was actually kind of funny. But then realizing this was like an all star team of comedians. And I want to hear what your picks are. So, um, the Mount Rushmore of ensemble comedies will begin with the person who has a C in their name, and um, you Wait, can't spell a comedy with Richard has a C, Michael so has Michael. a C, and Michael also has an M, and so Michael, you go, start. Uh, cool. Uh, I had to choose. I, I thought about It's a Mad, 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 Mad World as well. Don't, you're both pandering. Wait, 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 oh. but I'd never seen it. Okay. <laughs> I looked. I looked at like the cast list of it, and it was just like it's insane. Holy moly! Yeah. I, I also like that uh, that movie was like almost three hours long. Yeah. yeah. And like I can't imagine watching that. Yeah. So I, just to start with, I had to. I had to have seen it. Like I couldn't have just been a movie that like I had researched because yeah. for like comedic movies, like if I want if I want to talk, yeah, I got to mm-hmm. experience it. Mm-hmm. That would be a good. Hold on a second. That would be a good Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore of like movie experiences. Oh yeah, like the movies that you have to see in theater. Not or just something. not just there was a good movie, but it was like going to it was like an event. Going to or it was the thing that you had to yeah, do. Jot that mm-hmm. down. Howard's End. So instead of so, <laughs> all Merchant Ivory. Yeah. I feel like. So instead of seeing instead of a Mad 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 World, you chose Million Dollar Mystery, the Glad Bag tie-in movie. Was it really? That's my joke. Do you remember that movie? No. It was like um, it was called the Million Dollar Off Movie. Off the rails right away. It was a. It was, it was the whole thing was a promotional tie-in for Glad uh, garbage bags, and they had to follow the clue. And the, the audience had to like there was like you could follow clues in the movie, mm-hmm. and Glad was giving away a million dollars somewhere in the United States. Ah. Uh. You, you guys never saw? I mean, it had Tom Bosley in it, and Eddie Deason. Oh really? Okay. And uh, Rick Overton, and oh my God, what a save what a it cast. for Boscast. Oh man, Rich Hall. Rich Hall was in it. Oh, wow. I think you might have sniglets. had some sniglets. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I, th- I assume that's where you're going with this. So what, what did, what's your choice? First Read choice. my mind. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, 1984 comedy by Amy Heckerling, her first movie. Yeah. Uh, and written by Cameron Crowe, who had um, gone undercover yeah. uh, to infiltrate what it was like to be a high school student. Mm-hmm. Did he not go to high school? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that is it. Like, wait a second. Yeah. Like, uh, well, no, because he was like a Rolling Stone reporter and he was like 15 or 14. Well, so I don't think point. he actually did. He didn't have a regular high school. He didn't have a regular high school experience. I guess that makes total sense then. Yeah, haven't you ever seen uh, yeah, uh, no, Almost I, Famous? I have, but I like I didn't I didn't associate that he wouldn't have just also gone back to high school after yeah. he was on tour. Oh, I don't know if he did or didn't, but I think that makes sense that yeah. he, he did. Even. I think he also, but he wasn't that much older than a high school student, which is how it could even work. And he was a baby. He's kind of. You look at him now, he still looks like he's in high school. Yeah. Uh, so what I think is interesting about this is I was going to make a comment about it's a mad, 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 mad world was I think some of the celebrity filled ensemble comedies uh, were created because the movie studios were trying to compete with television and deliver a experience that one couldn't find on television. Mm. You could see a comedian Danny Thomas hosting a show, Father Knows Best, but you wouldn't see a hundred comedians sure. in a TV show. Huh. Right. So That's that was the three hour knock 'em dead experience. Like Unless the it was God- like the night of a hundred stars. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Or Jerry Lewis telethon, like said but something like that. What was so cool about Fast Times is anybody actually 
who knows this movie might think it was a star-studded movie, but at the time it was not. It became thus. I mean, if Judge yeah. Reinhold isn't putting bums in seats, I don't know. <laughs> I don't what know is? Who yeah. yeah. But it did feature like, in retrospect or in hindsight, like a lot of like big names like Sean Penn and uh, oh yeah, like Sean Penn, Forrest Whitaker, Nicholas Sean Cage, Penn was in it. Eric Stoltz, <laughs> Jennifer Jason Leigh, Jennifer Lee, Jason Lee, Anthony Edwards, uh, 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 Forrest Whitaker, yeah, Phoebe Cates' breasts. Oh god, great go. performance. Uh, this is just one of my favorite movies. I think yeah. all all the movies on my list, I've just I've seen dozens and right. dozens of times. I think of you as also a SoCalophile. In hmm. some that's those true. movies that do capture the essence, they of feel that very era. much like being at home. Yeah, yeah. Even though it was like you know, you know, ten uh-huh. years before my time of high school, like there's some things that just still yeah. feel. Yeah. Whether it's you Michael know, did surf to school every day. <laughs> that's right. So, <laughs> um, whether it's like uh, Sean Penn driving down, uh, I assume it's Ventura Boulevard when he steals, uh, when he uh, takes Forrest Whitaker's, Whitaker's car, yeah, and bro- car and his brother, it. yeah. Uh, all of the performances are great. And what I like about ensemble comedic movies or when I was thinking about what I was going to choose, um, I like the multiple storylines that you have to follow at the same time that mm-hmm. eventually kind of come together or they kind of cross paths throughout it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's such an important element of it because you're just not – it's not a single person storyline. You're kind of interweaving between so many you know, disparate things that ultimately yeah. kind of – come back together and you're yeah. like okay this is tied up itself in a bow it's it's not quite as like uh oh not not about a boy what's what's the um love actually which yeah. kind of uh it's not on my list but it has that same sort of feel where everything is kind of like interweaving and well yeah, I think people you, are kind of related to each other and they, they all know each other because it's high school yeah i think you can have two i mean i think with the ensemble comedies there's two approaches to it from a plot standpoint one is like that love actually kind of fast times couple on my list as well where it's almost there are multiple full like fully developed plots that are happening yeah and they're all basically related because all of the characters kind of know each other and interact with each other maybe they're related like love actually or one like a cameron crow movie singles that i seriously thought about putting on here which they're all, they all live in the same kind of like apartment yeah apartment. It's or whatever it is, either London or SoCal, right, or and, that apartment building. And then, like in singles, there's very definitely there's an A storyline with. I mean, it's almost like TV plotting, right? It's like there's an A storyline with uh, Kira Sedgwick and uh, what's his Campbell Scott. Then there's like the B plot line with Bridget Fonda and Matt Dillon. Then the weird like yeah. C, other like Jeremy Piven and mm-hmm. Sheila Kelly. But these are very specific, separate plots that mm-hmm. other you know the other characters kind of pop into because they all know each other, but they're very specific separate plots versus uh, different types of movies like fast times where it, uh, they're they're uh, maybe not like fast times different types of movies where the plots for these ensemble character comedies have like one plot and all these different characters are involved in the hangover the they're all in the same plot yeah yeah uh i i do like the behind the curtains um aspect of this episode so far of our podcast <laughs> just to take a quick step back where there's you can see like a whole lot of like the broken pottery that we haven't quite put together yeah. like like right. we both revealed like a lot of like all the stuff that like the half thoughts and like the <laughs> things that we want to talk about but don't quite i think because this category is so big and there's so many movies to choose from like there's all of these well here's my half finished ashtray that i okay and yeah. here's here's this like glass that we like it's, a, it's very interesting yeah. just to to listen to you, and it feels like I'm kind of talking to myself a little bit in that mm-hmm. I can see the thought process of like, oh my god, I wanted to talk about this, but I I didn't choose it, so how do I, I not choose it? it but how do I talk? I I just find that really interesting in like a behind the scenes very sort of meta like, sort of way. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I love this movie, and I could watch it a hundred times. It's an incredible movie, and it's got a great cast. Richard, what's your first? Uh, my first one. Speaking of great casts, and the movie that I I know I have watched at least a hundred times is This is Spinal Tap. Oh, that's a fun hmm. choice. I, I felt like I could, we couldn't do this without having a Christopher Guest or Christopher Guest-related film. Uh-huh. And it, I know this is technically a quote-unquote a Rob Reiner film, yeah. but, I mean, this is kind of the playbook for all the Christopher Guest films to come. Yeah. And 100%, this is my the movie I quote more than any other movie, the movie that I have quoted in my life more than any other movie, and the movie that I have, I feel very confident that I've seen more than any other movie. Hmm. Uh, my brother got me into this when he was a teenager and I was younger. 
there was a our video store in town, RJ Video. And he would rent this. I swear to God, he would rent this like every week or two weeks. <laughs> and to, to where you would think like, just buy the fucking thing already. Yeah. Although this was like 1985 or six. So, you know, v- VHS probably cost like, yeah, six, tape probably cost like 80 six, bucks or 60, something yeah, like that. Who yeah. the hell knows how much it cost back then. But he would rent it every like two weeks and just watch it. And I'd watch it with him and learned all the lines. And I got to be like a teenager and I'd start renting it. And literally, we we broke the VHS. Yeah. You kids back there with VHS, you actually used to be able to watch it so much that it would just degrade in quality to mm-hmm. the point where it was just non-watchable. Mm-hmm. We did that with um with this spinal tap. We collectively rented it. I had a friend who worked there when I was growing up as a teenager and showed me like the list of people who had checked it out over the years. And it is Manfredi, 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 yeah. somebody else, Manfredi, Manfredi. Yeah. And like one day it just like stopped being something they could watch and they actually had to go and buy another copy and mm-hmm. they just gave us the crappy did copy. You, did you know that about its production nature of, of largely improvised? And did that matter to you? Yeah, I think it's it just funny. Well, probably when I first, you know, when I first started watching it, like when I was like, you know, my brother was... 16 17 and i'm like eight nine or whatever i was nine or ten no i probably just thought it was a funny movie about mm-hmm. about you know insane you know heavy metal musicians like i didn't know maybe i didn't know the improv nature necessarily yeah. and i probably didn't get all of the inside mm-hmm. jokes about mm-hmm. that are specific to a lot of the actual things that happened in music yeah. you know yeah. like the uh the girlfriend who's trying to do all the stuff based on cosmetology, which I yeah. think was like, uh, I think that was like Iron Maiden's girl for someone in like astrology. Iron, maybe it's, but maybe it's yeah, cosmetology. What's the cosmetology and makeup? I think. Yeah. No, that's cosmetology. There's cosmetology and cosmetology. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Thanks for education. There you go. And maybe it was Black Sabbath. They had anyway. That's based on something. A lot uh, of this stuff was based on stuff that actually happened in real life. Yeah. I didn't know that at the time, but I I knew I I knew that this was just an incredibly funny movie with these characters mm-hmm. you know and, and from an ensemble standpoint you had the three main you know spinal tap characters yeah. then you had ian faith you know the uh T- tony hate as the mm-hmm. uh, uh dan not dan dan hate is the guy who was on the tortellis this is tony hendra tony hendra hendra thank you cosmotology <laughs> <laughs> tony hendra tony you, hendra yeah. the former the uh the former founder of Lampo. by magazine right or he was like an editor there too i think he was a lampoon guy. A lampoon guy, yeah. right, yeah. So he's, I mean, he's underrated in this. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's great in this. And you've got, beyond that, and then Rob Reiner adds mm-hmm. also part of the ensemble. So I was, part of me was like, God, is this really an ensemble piece? Because everyone kind of remembers either the Nigel Tufnell or the David St. Hubbins. Oh, stuff. yeah. But there's so many other characters that kind of come in and just have these, like, little moments. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of that are fantastic. Paul Schaefer, Trent Drescher, Trent Drescher uh, Billy Crystal is yeah. the uh, the mime with the cannoli. Do the cannoli with uh, and, uh, and Dana, Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey. Mime. It's almost in, in the same vein as like uh, Fast Times at Richmond High, where all these other people that were in it weren't necessarily as recognizable then as yeah. they are now. Right. Uh, Howard Hessman is like the tour manager of the yeah. very successful uh, I Duke Fame. Do, yeah, uh, I love I love this movie. This is a this is a great pick. Uh, and it leads into my next choice. But uh, this is a movie that, like like Star Wars, I've seen hundreds of times, mm-hmm. and I'm constantly finding new things in it or mm-hmm. things I didn't notice. And for a movie that's like 90 minutes long, and, it, you know, it, it, it surprises in... Uh, There's stuff happening in the background, like I know... In in the almost the very first scene is when they're interviewing a bunch of people like that are, like, excited about seeing Spinal Tap. I love that there's just, like, this, like drugged out like a good looking girl kind of looking up and she's very dreamy eyed and this behind her is just like all these skeevy guys with these gross <laughs> mustaches right. just like looking <laughs> over her shoulder and it just sets the scene of like oh they've got they've got every aspect of this yeah this life and this world perfect from like the background casting mm-hmm. and like that's I, I think that's what is most impressive is like right. all the little bits and pieces that you know Fred Willard's uh <laughs> Super straightforward Air Force captain. Yeah. All of it is just like, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. How did they get every part right? There's not yeah. one that you could re- that you would recast with anyone else. The guy from the Jeffersons as the uh, hotel clerk, just as God yeah. made me, sir. Yeah. Um, and I think this, to me, this sort of sums up a lot of the one of the things that takes makes a great ensemble comedy because 
you run the risk with these movies of having so many characters that it's just chaos. And they can kind of just become cliches or sort of just stand-ins for whatever bit that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know these characters in this world. Like like they've built this world where I, I absolutely believe that as, as ridiculous as Nigel Tufnell is, I absolutely believe that there are, there are guitarists who are just like that. Mm-hmm. And I believe everything with management and, you know, them telling, you know, that management would tell them, well, we got canceled in Boston, but don't worry because it's not a big college. Not a big college. It's no. my favorite lens ever. Yeah. And I think that's true. Like with Fast Times, I mean, you they, they develop, they're able to develop those characters, even though you've got this broad range of characters that you have to develop in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. Okay, what's your second, Michael? Well, that leads into my second pick, which is the 2000 film Best in Show. Uh, yeah, I could have picked that. I, I went back and forth on the two. Either one of them, we couldn't go, we couldn't go wrong. You see all of like the embers and all of the stuff and the, uh, uh, the improvised comedy that kind of started with This is Spinal Tap and mm-hmm. was basically perfected in This is Spinal Tap. Right. And you know he took that and kind of took that to uh, Waiting for Guffman and then from that kind of started to develop his own almost like his own uh SNL cast or like yeah. a like his repertory company yeah it's yeah. like his yeah it's almost like the state but like his the guests you know the guest mm-hmm. actors or whatever yeah. the, the guest, guest stars. playhouse the guest something the yeah. guest stars the guest house Gene Levy Catherine O'Hara guest stars and guest stars and ensemble <laughs> anyone here is on guest stars hello yeah, I don't still I don't know what okay sorry dude <laughs> um but best in show is, I think, his best work. Yeah, pardon, I, pardon I, the wordplay. But like, I observed that as well because I remember being disappointed by a Mighty Wind, thinking it wasn't as good as Best in Show. It's not, yeah. even though if you go back and watch a Mighty Wind now, it's like it's very good. It's, yeah, it's surprisingly good. Yeah. And then um, for your consideration, is it doesn't hold up, and just don't go watch. Uh, don't see mascots. Don't see mascots. Oh, it was a disappointment. So, oh my yeah, god. So but this the, movie, I you know, we talked about. Like kind of the, it's it's telling the same story, but it's almost like that, um, you know, from five different points of view, mm-hmm. or you know, these these all these individual dog owner storylines, or these right. couples. Sometimes it's an individual that kind of kind of interweave, but they're very specific. They're very separate until they kind of interact until the very mm-hmm. end, right? And even then, their interaction is somewhat whether limited. It's, yeah, whether it's like the gay couple that uh, have their Shih Tzu. Or it's like the um, uh, the bloodhound, bloodhound, yeah, Christopher Guest, you know, yeah. the from con- Alabama with it. Kind of nuts, bloodhound, kind of nuts. Uh, I, I say that in my it's head. Like Christopher Guest is here. <laughs> <laughs> I say that Walnuts. line in my head, maybe every day. Con nut, cashew nut, all white, all white yeah. cashew nut. <laughs> One of the most memorable aspects of. Uh, uh, best in show for me is one of the DVD outtakes where they show him showing off his beach ball collection. <laughs> yeah, and it's like oh completely God. filling like his cab, like yeah. like the cabin that he's got or whatever. It's just like bursting out. Ah, uh, I went to have it appraised, and the insurance guy he didn't know what to say. <laughs> neither do we. Yeah. I think that there is something very um, admirable about him casting all these people who he thinks and knows are very funny, trusting them to be. Uh, to go off and do the, the improv of it and kind of to round out their character. Like, I'm sure he kind of had sketches of who these people were, mm-hmm. but then the actual characters themselves, I'm sure each of the actors brought so much to, you know, what they ended up being. It, right. Like, whether it was the two, you know, the the couple that was uh, basically the... Um, it was Parker Posey and the uh, lawyers. Yeah, the, the Hamiltons who, who you know love shopping this is at not catalogs. A busy this is not a busy meet. <laughs> We're so angry. Yeah. These two yuppies that are so angry and like Starbucks and just like transferring that anger to their their pet. Uh, like Parker Posey, she uh, put on braces for the role. Mm-hmm. She wore bra- she didn't need braces. She wore braces throughout the role because yeah. she felt it needed it which is just oh yeah my my understanding of how they do this is that christopher guest knows like the plot yeah like he knows like okay this character's gonna do this and we're gonna get to this basically so he knows like all oh, point a to point b where mm-hmm. we're gonna go but he basically just tells the actors here's where we want to go with the scene figure it out yeah 
I mean, we haven't even talked about the dogs as part of the ensemble cast yeah. yet. Or Fred Willard. <laughs> Fred Willard, perhaps the perhaps the greatest damned, uh, uh, I don't know, ensemble. You could, ju- you could yeah. have just set, damned, ended yeah. it there. He's just the greatest damned. He's just the greatest damned. <laughs> no, maybe I, the greatest ensemble character actor of all time. One thing, right all of these choices that we've had, it seems like they're about a location or experience. And I do like some of them. The end, one of my favorite aspects is something where they do put on a show at the end and you it Mm. is a part of the plot line where all of these people are ultimately converging on a championship game or like a concert or something like that and that is the it seems like like a lot of robert altman films have this kind of thing it's almost like the a chaucer-esque thing where the narrative is going to take them all to the same location where they'll converge upon each other and yeah it's definitely a performative aspect i mean uh he's making movies about people who are want to be famous yeah right and that's the, that's the thrust mm-hmm. of, of who all these characters are in their little yeah. pathetic ways I, I think there's interesting at things that's that a real, that's a great take the by characters both of you guys. love their points of view um and commit to them so deeply the uh michael hitchcock and parker posey jerky lawyers are so dour and so sad and so pathetic but they also have like something so real about them that Gene Levy can have two left feet, <laughs> <laughs> and you say, "Okay, I buy that. I, I get." That. And, I, and I love in these movies when people kind of fly in out of who, have, who aren't part of the repertory cast. Yeah, like Larry Miller as the yeah. as Cookie, Cookie's like ex one of her many uh-huh. ex boyfriends talking about wanting going to poke the guy, the kid's yeah. thumb uh, eye out with his thumb. Yeah. Um, so Michael may not remember this, but when I had my heart attack and I was having my bypass surgery. Um, Michael and Emily were nice enough to come and see me. I think the night, the night before, in fact. And what we did for most of the time, not talk about my surgery. We just tried to scare him. Yeah, <laughs> we would pop out from behind the gurney, go boom, air yeah. horn. Yeah, they didn't even tell me they were there. Quarters over. <laughs> no, we spent most of the time just sitting down watching Best in Show. Oh, and, was it? Well, yeah, it was. It was the and it was the the actual like show part. So it was just us mm-hmm. watching like the Fred Willard bits and just yeah. just thinking it was the greatest thing ever. And that you put a that, that put made a me hat feel on pretty good. Dog. <laughs> yeah. I like that all of these this ep- this episode's just turning into like impressions of like your favorite bits from yeah. things like if you put how much little, could you he bitch? Had a, he had a, he had a pipe. He looked like a Sherlock Holmes dog. Yeah. He looks that looks like a fast dog. One oh, <laughs> one aspect of improvisation that I think shows its um, purveyors at the height of the form is when they give each other love and support. And John Michael Higgins has what is one of the more flamboyant characters, uh, portrayals of a homosexual (laughs) in film, but he does it with such loving sincerity and nobody really gets one up on him. He's very clever. This character is, and those Mm -hmm. people who might be judging him within the plot line usually, uh, are, are, are worse for their interaction. But when Eugene Levy comes up and says, you must be proud, Mary, instead of topping he him, it. he loves it. He goes, who are you all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> and just loves it. Well, and, and, and that character, I mean, it could almost be a problem, that character, except yeah. he's like, no, he's not the butt of anyone's jokes. No, yeah. Like, like he's a flamboyant gay, gay person, yeah. but then his partner is somebody who's definitely much more down to earth yeah, or yeah. whatever you want to say. Yeah. And... The only person who can, the only person who really makes fun of him that whole movie is is, is, is Michael McKean. Yeah, it's the way any relationship is basically, where you know you can make fun of your partner, but other people don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so my second pick, I'll just go and jump in because you because you mentioned uh, uh, Robert Altman, probably the king of ensemble films in general, mm-hmm. comedy, comedy drama, drama, whatever. And so I felt like it was necessary to have one of his movies on there. So I went with MASH. Oh, great choice. And so because it was, it's interesting to see him in a a working, this ensemble type movie in a comedic standpoint. Mm -hmm. I love Altman. I love, you know, a lot of ensemble stuff like Nashville or Shortcuts or I guess the player kind of falls Mm -hmm. into this as well. But this one, even beyond those movies, Maybe it's more like shortcuts in this way, but there's no plot to mash. Like you couldn't sit down to well, so what's the plot of the story? What's what are the character motivations? What are they trying to get from this? What's their what's their their what's their arc? Uh-huh. There really isn't any of that. There's not like a thing that they're trying to accomplish. It is just this vignette of what these you know what these these nurses and doctors and support people are going through 
in Korea, just trying to get through from one day to the next, you know, doing this meatball surgery, trying to put people together and trying mm-hmm. not to go completely insane yeah. uh, during the, in the process. So it's, it, it is, feels like it's almost structured like a TV show in that way, where a lot of times TV shows you don't have, it's, you know, you've got your 22 minutes and whatever happens, happens within the space of that 22 minutes. And then you go on the next episode, something completely different. It may or may not tie in. If it's not mm-hmm. episodic, it may not have anything to do with that happened the episode before. Yeah. So I think that's why it's, it is interesting to me that this wound up becoming, I guess, the most successful. So one of the things I find interesting about this is because of that nature of it, it feels more like a TV show, like a non-episodic type TV show. Yeah. Where you've just got, in the movie, you've got these blackout scenes, right? Where it's like something happens, they go to Tokyo because the general needs to do surgery on them. And it's like 10, 15 minutes of like wackiness and mm-hmm. or the football game. Mm-hmm. Which I think we may have mentioned on the show is one of my mm-hmm. favorite just movie scenes of all time. Yeah. It was on our episode about um sports something or sports, other. Yeah. Uh, fictional sports teams. Oh, sports go teams. back and check out that episode. That's everybody. a pretty good one. Yeah. So it's got these like kind of bits almost like skits or mm-hmm. sketches that then dissolve and then just go on to something completely related. Yeah. Same same world, but just not related necessarily to the last thing. Mm-hmm. And that feels like the way a lot of non-episodic TV shows are like Cheers. You have a continual world of Cheers, but for the most part, one episode doesn't necessarily play into... You can have just episodes that are just standalone. You don't need to see anything else to know what's uh-huh. going on. And so I, I, it's curious to me that that, that was the nature of, of the movie, and then MASH became, without a doubt, the most successful t- movie-to-TV you know, translation yeah. of all time. And it's... It is it it is a true ensemble movie. Like you look at you look at the TV show, and it really was became especially after the first couple of years a real star turn. I mean, Alan Alda was clearly the star of it. Yeah. In the first few years, it was him and Wayne Rogers, but mm-hmm. it was it, definitely Hawkeye and Trapper John were the stars of it, and then even more so after that, Hawkeye. But if you look at if you watch the movie, it's just like they're two of the doctors, and they're the two main doctors, you know, Elliot Gould and Donald mm-hmm. Sutherland. And you follow them more than you follow anyone else, but there's all these other characters who kind of float in and have their own arcs, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Spear Tucker Jones mm-hmm. or um, the Aussie sort of anesthesiologist. They've got that scene where they're going to do the, the suicide and the funeral. But you've got, the point is, you've got all these like kind of characters that are floating in and out and around. You've got the only other character who, who only, only other actor, only actor who came over was uh, Gary Berghoff as Radar, and you've got scenes with him. It is sort of this like world that they that he's able to build just with a few few bits and pieces of characters all over the place. It's interesting as, as a movie that it doesn't seem to ever feel like it has a beginning or an end. You're just kind of there, and then you're just kind of out of there. You've yeah. kind of flown in and flown out, and that uh, it just drops you in. Yeah, yeah. It's like it, it is like you're just seeing this like slice mm-hmm. of the, these characters' lives. It's just a random. We drew and drop you in at this point, and drop you out at this point, and this is. Sort of the reality that they're living in, and I think that's part of one thing that Mesh is about is not Vietnam, but it's about Vietnam, Korean War. Yeah, but America had just been watching the first televised war, Vietnam, and I feel like that's really what the context. Well, was it was still people. happening. It was nineteen seventy. Well, it's, it's so it's fresh. It's in people's minds as the thing they watch on TV every night. Yeah, it was basically we know we can't. It's probably too too, too soon. Real too real. Yeah, to do this about medics in Vietnam but if we do it about based on this book um, about the Korean War you don't have to stretch that far to see the parallels yeah guys we made it we're halfway through and we're going to beg you to download rate and review our podcast but we want to suggest something before that we want to suggest you using audible why because they are offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out what they do at the audible place if you like ensemble comedies and if you're a fan of British humor, then you'll probably like The Pythons autobiography by The Pythons, written by Bob McCabe, John Cleese, and Michael Palin, narrated by Bob McCabe, John Cleese, and Michael Palin. That is on Audible, and so are 180,000 other titles. Audible has it all. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com rushmore. Once more, get your pens, audibletrial.com slash Rushmore, and you'll get a free audiobook. 
So yes, we want to get in the dialogue with you about what topics you'd love to hear, what topics you've enjoyed. Download, rate, and review past episodes in iTunes. Then go to Facebook, go to Twitter, go to Instagram, and get in the conversation. We'd love to hear topics that you'd like us to discuss. And we is back, and we are discussing the Mount Rushmore of Ensemble Comedies. Michael, it's your third. Uh, mine is the 2001 Wes Anderson film, The Royal Tenenbaums. Oh. Uh, this is, you know, kind of like with Christopher Guest and uh, the guest stars. Thank Richard. you. Thank yes. you. I get it now. I'm so sorry. I'm so happy. That's okay. Now. I'm the happiest um, girl in the USA. I ignored it as long as I possibly could, but then at some point you have to acknowledge when because someone I, does. Do because good work. I made a sign and was holding it in your face <laughs> like a heart the whole time. Uh, it said John 316s, but I put it together that I knew what you're talking <laughs> From about. From the episode of Famous Sports Fans. Uh, Listen to that one. <laughs> kind of starting with uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, uh, he kind of started putting together his own little uh, kind of repertory repertory theater uh-huh. of people that make his you know interesting quirky comedies, mm-hmm. and this is you know replete with them from you know Bill Murray in a minor role to Gene Hackman in the kind of title role. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, I don't know if it's my favorite movie of his but it feels like the most complete oh like it feels like conceptually and consciously and gives me the most feels i i guess my my kind of theme or my thinking this week was you know kind of like these multiple storylines that kind of cross together and they kind of did that again with this movie where you had kind of like uh the three children like each of the three children or four children including kind of the owen wilson character yeah kind of have their own story uh, along with Royal that kind of meet up at the end at like a wedding. Uh, so you have like the kind of neurotic Ben Stiller, uh, Chaz character and all of the stuff that he's going through with his uh, dead wife and his children and everything. And then the, you know, the, the bomber storyline and the, yeah, all of them, like they, they all are kind of fully developed in, you know, his kind of dark kind of weird comedy mm-hmm. chop way. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of lead up to something bigger and it's yeah. about something, you know, it's, a, it's about this man's this man's life, which is his children's life, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. I guess my one thing I love about Wes Anderson is he creates worlds and communities and he puts them in this box and the characters spend most of the story breaking out of the box. I felt like he just so controlled them. <laughs> I feel like this was the first, you know, Rushmore was a box. The home that the Tenenbaums live in was this box. Every other... Um, every other uh, Wes Anderson film was about this community or this culture that would they all create together and then it oppresses them they have to escape from it for some reason it just maybe I don't like Ben Stiller that much could be <laughs> I think that's yeah. it or Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> or Gwyneth Paltrow I just didn't like him I love the Wilson brothers a lot and I loved Gene Hackman and stuff like that. I can quote his like uh, Owen Wilson's like friskalating dusk light, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. just the nonsense stuff that uh, yeah. his character. We all, we all know that uh, <laughs> we all know that, uh, that that Custer was killed in Battle Little Bighorn. But let's. But my book presupposes. <laughs> what if he didn't? What if he did? Such a perfect line. Yeah. It, it's so funny how we've been talking a whole lot about um, uh, improv. Yeah. In some of our picks, and you know, Wes Anderson is so anti-improv yeah it's very it's obviously what he wrote is what he expects to be yeah. seen on the screen and he has all of his timing worked out and he has right. his shots worked out and he has all of the weird drawings and stuff mm-hmm. and like all his background stuff it's all so meticulous it's like he has you know he has these like little dollhouses of movies they're just like so perfectly placed but also perfectly executed and i think that speaks a lot to the actors involved in that he does choose people who you know bill murray is a very funny guy and right. can, can be very uh, improv based and can go mm-hmm. all over the place but he plays a much more subdued you know role in this one and like he's it's amazing that, that he gets so many people to kind of fall in line except for Gene Hackman who apparently um, was at the point of frightening Wes Anderson on a regular basis because how upset he, how angry he acted through much of the shooting of this to the point where Bill Murray had to like basically follow him around on set. Oh, I didn't and stand there with uh, Wes Anderson to make sure that that Gene Hackman didn't bother him. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. Well, he did. He did quit uh, acting shortly thereafter. <laughs> well, his last movie was that movie with Ray Romano. Loose I think port. that would make anyone want to quit acting. Yeah. But now, I obviously I love this movie. I love Wes Anderson. You and I both share this. 
And I think this is the first movie that really got the mix of whimsy and melancholy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there in Rushmore, but it's, you know, the melancholy is kind of like. In the it's, supplant- it's, it's supplanted by the teen angst. Right. And I think this is the first one that really, I think, got that mix that he's had in most of the rest of his movies. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, there's a lot of the funny, yeah, funny bits that we can sit here and quote, but there's also. You know, the relationship between uh, Luke Wilson and, and Gwyneth Paltrow and that, you know, this kind of love that they'll never have in that way, I guess. You look at Richie's character in particular. He starts off as kind of this one note kind of joke, right? It's sort of like the gag about like 80s tennis players mm-hmm. who, who've had, you know, him, him having had a nervous breakdown, but like the look and everything. It's very like... John McEnroe, Bjorn yeah. Borg, or something, and that's kind of the, the. At first, he's kind of a one-note character based on that, but then they manage to develop him over time and turn him into this really kind of tragic character. I mean, he winds up trying to commit suicide because he is having a nervous breakdown, basically, and realizes he can never, yeah, you know, this love that he has for his sister, his sorry, adopted sister. That's right. Is. <laughs> Is, is just not going to happen. It's not not something they should be doing. So with Richie, I think that that's a character, one of the first characters I think felt like a f- fully fleshed out kind of character with a heaping dose of melancholy hmm. that was more based on that than just sort of even, even in Rushmore, Bill Murray's character. Yeah, there's a lot of melancholy, but mostly it's in the service of some sort of gag. Richard, what's your third? My third one is Dazed and Confused. Oh, um, fun. Featuring our, uh, probably the closest we have to, I think, a modern day Altman in terms of the type of work he does yeah. and how he does it in Richard Linklater. And by the way, I should acknowledge off the top, I know we mentioned Wooderson in our fictional Cool Guys episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not really going to talk a lot about Wooderson as a character here, although he is an incredible character. Um, but So Richard Linklater, he does a lot of these kind of big ensemble pieces like Altman used to do. Um, but he also has a lot of movies that are, driven by just a couple of interactions with just a few characters, like uh, the Before Sunrise mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. But then you do have a lot of these movies, like Days and Confused, which is sort of a snapshot of a lot of characters, kind of what's happening in them in one very, like you said, specific place and mm-hmm. time. And I think they both, both of them also kind of have this, they want to they have, they want you to feel like you're actually, like it's almost cinema verite, right? Like you are part of their lives. They mm-hmm. want they and they value realism versus yeah. sort of any sort of like cinematic tricks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what works so well about Days and Confused. Like I, I was I think, was thinking, I think I was I don't I don't I don't think I was even born when this movie was, was supposed to be, you know, set mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. I'm you know not from Texas. This is not a movie that is I could relate to naturally in any way. But I absolutely feel like I know these characters. I feel yeah. like I absolutely understand who these guys, these kids were in like 1975 and in Texas in high school going to the the big party out by the, the Power Transformer. Mm-hmm. It's such like a he's able to make a movie that is like incredibly specific in the time and place, but also very universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that a lot of that ha- owes to the fact that he's got these characters that are really well drawn out that are relatable without necessarily quite falling into the category of, of tropes. And it is probably other than fast times. It's probably the quintessential. Here's a bunch of young actors before they made it famous. Yeah. 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 I mean, you've got McConaughey, you've got Ben Affleck, Adam Goldberg, Parker Posey is in it. Who we've mentioned before. Mia Mia Jovovich, uh, Renee Zellweger has like a small part in it. Oh, she does. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't think this movie would have worked if there would have been a lot of like well-known yeah. young actors who would have been part of it. Like it would have just taken you like out of, mm-hmm. out of like believing these are just a bunch of kids, mm-hmm. you know, partying last, you know, laughing the last day of school in some like small town in Texas somewhere. It's so funny how like the movies that seem to be on all of our lists that seem to work are the ones that, uh, you know, as opposed to no offense, Jeff, like it's a mad, 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 mad world, which is just chock a block full of like the biggest stars you could possibly get yeah. into every role. These movies that we've highlighted so far, they're a lot smaller in terms of 
who are the stars of it. I guess yeah. the World Tenenbaums as the exception, where mm-hmm. it's like, sure. I mean, these everyone, these people are, you know, Angelica Houston is super well known. Yeah. But like Richard said, like in Dazed and Confused, they're all like these sm- smaller personalities at the time that mm-hmm. later ballooned into much more recognizable yeah. faces. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, such a important aspect about casting like a big movie like this or a big cast like this is like you really have to find the person for the role rather than mm-hmm. the name for the role. Yeah. There was an interesting comment on the casting of um, the of Wedding Crashers where they were trying to figure out who the matriarch, sorry, they were trying to figure out who the patriarch of this family would be and Christopher Walken is the patriarch of this family. So if he were somebody like... Um, uh, somebody who had less stature hmm. or somebody who was not maybe psycho, <laughs> he, you wouldn't be as threatened or feel like scared for these guys. If they screw up, they're going to be caught by Christopher Walken. Oh, interesting. Um, but I, and I do find that interesting. Like a lot of these ensembles, you have to have somebody who's, it could be a bunch of nobodies, but you have to have somebody who has a lot of gravitas <laughs> to, to play like a, um, I wonder Gene if, Hackman. I wonder if, if like they had done The Godfather, but it was Groucho Marx Groucho. <laughs> that was sitting there. Yeah. And st- <laughs> I love old Groucho too. Like, yeah, eh, I made him an offer he couldn't yeah. refuse. But, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know why that was the first. Uh, I well, you know what to. thing that I loved about Days and Confused is a great bo- movie about youth and the backdrop of uh, athletics. A lot of these people are. Um, uh, the kid's going out. The kid is an athlete, and he's got to fi- figure out: is he going to be with the stoners or with the sports team? And then Linklater did Bad News Bears, and it was a miserable, <laughs> miserable right. movie. It was like the movie almost hated itself. Okay, so Michael, what is your fourth? Uh, my last uh, is a very big broad comedy, Anchorman from two thousand four. Oh, okay, yeah. Which uh, kind of diverges from like there's just a central uh, plot. In yeah. the movie, which is yeah. about, you know, Will Ferrell's uh, Ron Burgundy as, you know, an anchorman not being able to deal with the changing times. And, yeah. You know, his new uh, his uh, new counterpart in Christina Applegate. But I, I thought this movie, one, is just incredibly funny from uh, all all sides. Everyone is so big and everyone is yeah. playing it just for the biggest laughs and the dumbest jokes. And yeah. It's totally silly. But I love that... Uh, they were able to bring in a bunch of like super well-known people to just do really dumb, silly parts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, like a big comedy where you have a, you know, a big star at the time, you know, Will Ferrell wasn't like the biggest of no, stars either. Yeah. He was, a you know, kind of burgeoning mm-hmm. comedic force or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to bring in Tim Robbins to do a minor role and Ben Stiller who uh, yeah. we've acknowledged that Jeff hates the hell out of when they have the anchorman rumble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And all these people just kind of fill in and like, you know, Fred Willard has a nice little part in this and it's, it's just kind of rounded out by like really fun. Yeah. Personalities. Fred yeah. Armisen has a goofy role as like the nightclub owner doing, yeah. a, doing a very classic Fred Armisen voice right. of it, indeterminate. Yeah. Origin. Yeah. Latin origin. The, the, the news anchor showdown is one of the great, bits of casting because everybody there had been in their own ensemble comedy or had pivoted with the other people in some kind of movie there yeah. before there. So that was pretty awesome. And every time they kind of someone rolls in, like, oh, wow, Vince Vaughn. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's there's uh, Luke Wilson. They they kind of uh, did the SNL thing where they kept going with the joke in Anchorman 2 mm-hmm. where they did basically the, it's the same movie. <laughs> yeah. But they did like the same thing where they kind of rolled in with like the, more expanded cable news, yeah, different coverage, and like Kanye West is there playing a role, and uh-huh. like, uh, you know, I'm not, I should not get points for mentioning the sequel to the movie that yeah. I'm talking about, yeah. but when the History Channel comes, yeah, in, hey, like, wait a second, and, and, this and, is uh, my that, that, that's that's one of my type of moves. I learned I, know I learned it from the best, but you know, he rolls in with like Stonewall Jackson and like a Minotaur, uh-huh. and you're like, what? It, what did they? They just were like, let's keep going. Let's take yeah. what we did, what we perfected in the first movie, and just like let's ruin it. You know, <laughs> expand fun, upon it. What's funny is I hadn't seen that movie for like the first two years it was out after it came out. Like it just never fell into my wheelhouse. Your of, yeah, like I didn't see it when it came out, and it was like one of those movies that so many people like told me I had to see it. Yeah, 
you know, sometimes you, that happens and you just get like stubborn about it. It's you like, develop it, a resentment I, towards this piece of culture that it, you're missing. It yeah. can't be this good. Yeah. It's got to be. I, it, it, I'm sure it's not very good. It's good. For me, it's it's like there's something about Mary-itis. Because oh. that happened with me. The difference being I really hated there's something about Mary and turned it off about halfway through. Mm-hmm. But with Anchorman. I've never seen it. Really? You're, you're doing fine. Yeah. Thanks. You're doing fine, <laughs> kid. But Anchorman was something I was over at your old place with Scott mm. after a kickball game. And we decided not to go to the bar. We just knocked back to, to your place to go drink whiskey and, and fuck off. Sounds For the record, good. Richard is pointing at Michael. You. Good podcast. Good, good podcast behavior there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, I, I I said we went back to Michael's place. You weren't invited, Jeff, is what I'm trying to say. For the record, I'm punching Richard. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> and 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 this, this, this got thrown on. I was like, oh, well, I guess... Fuck it, I guess I'll see it. And I laughed so hard. This yeah. is one of the immediately like set about trying to get three or four other people who had never seen it to see it. Yeah. Insanely just quotable and the performances are all just over the top. And it's yeah. You know, as opposed to all the other movies, it's just like it's it's nuts. Mm-hmm. Hey, I mean it's it's far and away the best Will Ferrell movie of this type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like don't I, don't sleep on a Talladega Nights too, but Yeah, you can sleep on it if you I want. I said I said don't sleep on it. Okay, if you want to. Though. All right, uh, Richard, don't sleep on your last choice. What is it? Okay, my last choice is, I know we're talking about Monty Python, and in terms of, I did, I hemmed and hawed about putting Holy Grail on there, Monty Python uh, and Holy Grail. I ultimately, that movie falls apart at the end. Yeah, well, it literally falls <laughs> apart at the end. I didn't, I decided that the Monty Python movies were a bit out of bounds, just because they were a whole comedy ensemble before they made movies mm. so it's not it, yeah it, it's an ensemble film in that standpoint it's like brain candy it's like a, yeah brain candy or to some extent wet hot american summer mm-hmm. where you've got this built-in kind of group of people obviously with wet hot american summer there were other actors kind of came in but and i'm shocked you didn't pick that by the way sorry I, I sorry had, plurry i had no i honestly i had the same sort of thought about it i thought it was kind of weird to basically take the state and put it in a movie and say like, oh, that's uh, an ensemble comedic movie. It's like it's a long episode of the state. The state it's uh, like it's, an extended. Yeah, same, same thing, thing with same thing with the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think maybe Life of Brian's a little bit less than that because it's more of a through plot. But mm-hmm. I felt like we needed something from the Monty Python world, so I went with a fish called Wanda. Oh, oh. Emily and I just watched this like a week and a half ago, I two weeks seen ago. It since it was it's in delightful. The theaters, yeah. yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, it's clear John Cleese enjoys working in this sort of ensemble mm-hmm. world. You know, the stuff he's done after Monty Python, even when he's been a star or something he created, like mm-hmm. Faulty Towers, he's one of many characters yeah. in that. And a lot of the stuff he's done after that has been kind of more supporting type stuff. Like, you know, he was on Cheers for a stretch as like Sam and Diane's like marriage therapist or, or relationship therapist. And he's done a lot of this sort of stuff since then that is is sort of like ensemble and I think it probably speaks to something that he's was comfortable with even going back to his time mm-hmm. in college and being in kind of college comedy groups and what have you and this movie it's just you've got three great star turns and I know Kevin Klein won, Klein won the Oscar for best supporting actor but he's as much of a star of this movie as Jamie Lee Curtis or John Cleese mm-hmm. I just think he maybe he didn't have the name recognition of the other two so that's why he was sort of yeah looked at as a supporting character but you've just got these three incredible like leads all kind of bouncing off of each other and then you've got michael palin who is in the supporting way just basically steals the show as yeah. stuttering kin when he when he's trying to pronounce the the Kathakot hotel <laughs> and he's just like the the <laughs> and I think what's, what, what's I literally watched this the other night, so I know it, like, it's fresh pitch in your perfect. Head. It's, oh, I love this movie. I think we stumbled on something with all of these movies, every single one of them, with the exception maybe a mash, but even I would argue that. Incredibly quotable. Mm-hmm. I think when you have an ensemble comedy, one of the things you wind up having is there's really two ways to kind of go, up, go with it. A lot of times they either fall into these very smart, tiretaki kind of films, or it's, it's really driven off of the dialogue between characters. And then you've got the broad sort of ensemble comedies, and I would that have a lot of physical humor or a lot of like kind of goofy humor. Mm-hmm. Like I would put Anchorman into that category yeah. versus like Dates and Confused. I would put into the 
first category be more the talky kind of dialogue driven ones. And I think what's amazing for me about Fish Called Wanda is that it's both like it checks off all those boxes. Like you've got, you know, these great like character dialogue moments like between Kevin Klein and Jamie Lee Curtis when she's like pissed at him and running down all the stupid things that Otto believes, you know, that the London Underground is not a political movement. About. <laughs> but then you've got this just dumb, broad physical comedy like John Cleese stripping while he's reciting Russian to Jamie Lee Curtis and mm-hmm. then the neighbors walk in. And that's and then that does kind of fall back. I know we've even talked about this with Monty Python, how much they're this in, this incredible kind of mix of super highbrow smart humor versus just the dumbest lowbrow shit you could think of. And this is just I think another extension of that where it works on multiple levels as comedy. Well, right on. That's great analysis. Thanks, uh, thanks, Jeff. You're so uh, good at this, this by the way. Pilot. <laughs> You're such, you're such a good, such a good judge. God bless you. You're just kissing my ass. Well, you know what, I, Richard, I have a feeling that you might win this one. I don't want to. I don't want to give away. I just gave it away already. But um, I mean, you're the judge. You yeah, you can do judge. whatever the hell you want. <laughs> I got to reveal it. So, uh, these are the things that I thought while we're um, talking about this. I, lo- I love the analysis of what different types of these comedies there are, what where they take place, how they succeed. Um, where they can have different tones and timber. If you think of the Royal Tenenbaums as having a lot more, you said successfully reuniting or uniting melancholy and um, Meliers. I forget what they do. So like ingredients on a BLT. Um, but no, it does. It does. Uh, you know, melancholy and yeah, mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. And I think Anchorman had a very broad um, execution. It almost had the uh, Tex Avery Warner Brothers school of of comedy in it where somebody could get flattened with a frying pan <laughs> in the next scene that they were okay or a dog can get kicked off a bridge and he's okay after that but um so it was really fun to, to hear this analysis here's what i'm going for um i love the pull of this is spinal tap i loved getting a, a, a fish called wanda in there because it was uh, very different in richard's analysis of the different types of comedy and the fact that john cleese had very successfully um um, worked in ensemble comedies and then brought that to Fish Called Wanda. John Cleese is maybe the tallest, perhaps most dominant character in comedy who is so willing to share the fun with so many different people That's true. in these different ways he performs. Um, and I really like the pull of MASH because that's something I would never have identified as a ensemble comedy. So there's three points for Richard. And because I just fucking love it, um, a big fat point for Michael on Best in Show because that's just one of my favorite um, comedies. And I do agree with you. I feel like it's Christopher Guest at the peak of that formula and how it worked. Can best, I get a best guest? Can I get a quarter point for my heart attack? No, you're already up three to one. Yeah. <laughs> Can't milk that for any anything else. I will milk that for the rest of my life. <sighs> Or at least until I have another heart attack. What I I will, however, take away uh, a point from each of you because nobody said Cannonball Run. This has been the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff. So wait, are we going to do some bloopers at the end of this? (laughs) I'm Richard. Uh, I'm Michael.